Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. In the studio today uh, is not our normal um, normal set of pastors, but we do have a special guest, Pastor Matt Marino. How are you doing today, brother? Very good, very good. So this, uh, this, this friend... Um, I met Matt 10 years ago, and um, he is the one that discipled me into the Christian ministry. And uh, three years ago when you went back to seminary, um, that's when um, I took over the well, and and now you're back in town and you're filling in for Jonathan. How's that going? It's going great. I've gotten a chance to preach a couple times, and I'm starting to preach uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, which I frankly uh, don't have any experience with except for the first question and the question on communion. Other than that, it's totally new to me, and right. it's been awesome so far. Yeah, Wonderful. Heidelberg is yeah. great. Yep. Yep. We've, we've talked about catechism on the show before. And we have Phil Moran. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the afterthought, apparently, but, it, but it's really good to be here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, wonderful to be here with you guys. Yeah. So um, the name of the show, we've recently moved from 12.15 to 8 o'clock in the morning, so hopefully um, you are familiar with what we're doing here. But for those of you who are not, the name of the show is The Gospel for Life, and um, that's not just a cliche, that's not just a marketing device. We actually believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all of life. Yes, we are brought into the kingdom of God. It says that we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son at the moment of regeneration, at the moment of belief. We have a, a our sin nature completely pardoned and washed away, and we have all of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. But the gospel doesn't stop applying then to our life, does right, it? Right. Why, why is that important to emphasize? You want to take that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can. Well, I can start. I can. I can take a take a stab at it because that's a huge question. Yeah. But um, Christians need the gospel. Christians need the gospel every day. Uh, what we see in the Corinthian church is that the, the, Paul Paul challenges them that they continue to walk and live out of the flesh rather than out of the spirit, and so he takes them back to the gospel again and again and again. And that is going to be this side of glory. That is going to be the tendency of every believer uh, until our ultimate transformation, uh, that we're going to lapse back into the ways of the flesh. Uh, Christians need the gospel. Christians need the gospel just as much as, as any unbeliever. Um, and we need to hear it over and over and over again, uh, that our salvation is the work of God through the gift of his Son, yeah, who called us to himself and transformed us and made us new. Therefore, uh, and there's a long list of therefores that grow out of that, um, but we begin with the gospel every day. You want to add to that, brother? Yeah, I mean, you said during the break, um, you know, the church needs to hear the gospel more than anybody, and, and that reminded me of a, an, one of the earlier Christian books that I read, uh, Jerry Bridges' book, The Discipline of Grace. And he was making that very point. He's like, you know, we, we tend to think of the gospel as for unbelievers, Yes, but uh, we don't think that. Uh, but the gospel is for sinners. But you've got unbelieving sinners and you got believing sinners, 
And so one of the other perspectives that we need the gospel for is the legal dimension. As soon as we try to strive for holiness and try to please God, we start to get the idea, of, maybe for the first time, of what wretched sinners we are and see how far we, we fall short. And so the legal dimension is, you're going to sin until the day you die. The devil's going to bring up those accusations against you until the day you die. And as I always say, every lie is a twisted truth. Uh, though he's ultimately lying, at the same time, you really did sin. Yes. And your sin really did deserve eternal judgment. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you go back to like 99% what Jesus did and 1% my sincerity? One Well, maybe I can confess all my sins. Oh, I don't even remember all my sins when I go to bed at night. So what do you do? So that's why it matters. That's the legal perspective. That doesn't go away. Yeah. Luther, he has this famous quote. I love this. is my favorite quote by Luther. He says, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, for I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is there, I shall be also. Yeah, amen. Luther also had said at one point, speaking of the legal dimension, that um, I preach justification by faith to my congregation every week because every week they forget the doctrine of justification by faith. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, Luther also said it's very, very vivid, and I and I might I might botch the quote because I don't have it in front of me. But he said we never really grow beyond our baptism; we can only crawl back to it. Yes. And and what he was saying is that we, the Christian life begins with with the grace of God, and it ends with the grace of God, and it's lived in the grace of God in between. Yes. And that's what so that's that's what we're doing in First Corinthians here. What we've been looking at is how each problem that this congregation is facing, Paul puts it right in their face and then shows them how the gospel is the solution to that problem. So let's go ahead and look at chapter four. Um, Matt, you want to you wanna set us up on what's going on here and, and how do you understand Paul's argument? Well, for one, um, Phil mentioned the super Christians, the super, I've all, uh, heard uh, their leaders sometimes were called the super apostles or something like that. And, right. and so Paul's, interesting about Paul, he's always defending his ministry. It's easy to look, especially 2 Corinthians and the Thessalonian aspects of the Thessalonian, they almost look petty. They almost look at, at, at first glance as if Paul is really, really, really flashing his resume and stuff like that. But you have to understand what he's doing. He knows that the devil's not really after him. The, the devil's after the gospel. And so Paul, in a sense, has to defend his ministry to defend the purity of the gospel. And that's really what he does here. But at the same time, he, he's he talk about the legal dimension. If you, know, if you ask, you know, where is justification in Corinthians? You just don't find it. Well, I think it's implied here, at least, in the sense that he doesn't judge himself and what he means by that. And so um, the interesting thing is, so he, he's defending his ministry the whole time. He, he ends out by talking about spiritual fatherhood and, and uh, that he is that to them. And ultimately, he's only as good as he points them to Christ. But in the middle of it, in the dead center of the passage, is really the most interesting verse, and it's verse 7, where it says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And the first interesting thing, historically, about that is that that is the verse, for whatever reason, that convinced Augustine. He wrote this in the book uh, Predestination of the Saints in 429, one of the last books he, read, he wrote. And he said, this is the verse where sort of the pennies drop for him. And you might think of that, well, Paul's really only talking about spiritual gifts and ministry stuff in the church. 
Uh, but I think we already have a precedent in chapter one to say, no, he's really rooting that in election because that was his whole grounds for cutting out all their boasting and saying that God is the one that gives you all things. And so, so spiritual gifts and ministry talents and things like that are wrapped up into the fact that God is the giver of all good things to begin with. So the pennies drop for Augustine how? Like, how, what did this verse convince him of? Right. So it's, it's pretty universal in the sense that who sees anything different in you? Anything means anything. What do you have that you didn't receive? So that's everything. And so I think, I think um, without remembering the context, I think it's just the string of passages that we've talked about, 1 Corinthians one thirty, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, uh, other places, Romans eleven six. There, there seems to be a contrast in Scripture uh, between election and boasting in something about us. There seems to be a, a war going on between those two things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Phil, um, how has this passage been especially useful f- for you, not only in ministry, but just in life? <laughs> well, chapter 4 is, is, is absolutely very powerful. And I just, uh, not to work it to death, but what do you have that you did not receive? There's a real call to humility there. Yeah. I did not invent the gospel. And it's a question uh, of examination. Examine yes, your heart. Yes. Did, did you originate your personality? <laughs> the, the particular right. gifts you have of speaking, those people over there don't have them. How did you get them? Right. Uh, right. Your, your, your height. <laughs> <laughs> there's some tall people in this room and there's some short people in this room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where did you get that from? Yeah. Yeah, n- none of us has any gift that we generated, uh, whether it's spiritual gifts or, or even natural gifts. And obviously we can take what we're given and we can develop it. Um, but when Paul talks about what, did you, what do you have that you did not receive, he's particularly talking about the gospel and he's particularly talking about their salvation. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're in the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians and verse 7. Um, and then he asks another question. Well, first he asks, what do you have that you did not receive? And then... If then you received it, why do you boast Mm -hmm. as if you did not receive it? And as Matt was saying a moment ago, there's this connection in in, in Scripture between there's the doctrine of election and the temptation of boasting that the doctrine of election, you were chosen, you were gifted by God from all eternity. That cuts off boasting at the knees. It cuts off pride at the knees. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for pride. And therefore, no room for party spirit. No room for divisiveness uh, in the church that's claiming uh, uh, some kind of spiritual spiritual superiority for my party, for my group. Matt, can you connect the doctrine of election? I thought we were talking about the gospel if someone's listening. How does the doctrine of election relate to the gospel? Isn't that something that's just separate from the gospel? I'd say no, and I think it's essential, but it's essential in a way that might surprise a lot of Americans. Um, it's not essential in the sense of a creed or a secret mantra or password that you have to say at the front door. You won't get let in. We all get things wrong all the time. None of us can fully uh, or even really do more than scratch the surface on the doctrine of the Trinity. or the do- So this isn't like justification by doctrinal adherence or doctrinal precision. When I say it's essential, think of a house uh, a foundation to a house or roots of a tree or something like that. It's, um, you know, in the Latin, the sine qua non. That's, we use that phrase sometimes, that without which not. It's the, it's the necessary condition. Uh, if, if election is not true, then, then neither is all the other things. And, and a verse I would give you for that is uh, Romans 8, 29 and 30. It's sometimes called the golden chain of salvation. So you have that progression of who we foreknow. These, he also predestined. Those who he predestined, he also called. 
and so on, all the way to glory. You don't have glory at the end without God's choice at the beginning, given our inability. Um, and, and that connects, again, the last one I would say about verse 7 is, I would just ask people, what would be more arrogant and irrational, to boast that you built your own home or that you raised your kids well or whatever else, or to boast that you were born? I mean, what? <laughs> which would be more, right? So, so if somebody wants to say, "Well, he's just talking about spiritual gifts, not election," here, okay, let's say that's true. Relate this back to to chapter one. Do you have any spiritual gifts or ministry or any of those things without being born again to begin with? Right. So, that's the root. Yeah, hmm. isn't it fascinating how how doctrinal Paul is? Like he he's a master at weaving the problems that the Corinthian church are having right now. You know, day-to-day problems of of pride and arrogance and this is my party, this is your party. And he's injecting deep theological doctrines as the answer. I mean, how how refreshing, right? Yes, that that is absolutely refreshing. And, and what it indicates is that Paul just steadfastly refuses to play their game of party spirit. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he does it. He's not just going to, just think of Paul writing this letter. There is a crew in in Corinth that says we're of Paul, yeah. And how tempting it must have been to Paul to be flattered by that group, yeah. And well, those, these guys are my crew. Well, we're all preachers. We know the temptation to that, don't we? Absolutely. Um, that, you know, that's one of the hardest temptations to avoid to to not be a man pleaser to be but be one who pleases God. Yeah. 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 And, and one of the ironies, one of the one of the wonderful ironies of First Corinthians chapter four, Paul is warning against boasting and cutting off boasting at the knees. And then in verse sixteen, he says, "I urge you then, be imitators of me." <laughs> yeah. Wow! But what he means by that is be be imitators of me and putting the gospel first. That's right. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.